Trauma Therapist Podcast, episode 184. Passion, dedication, and inspiration. If you're ready to hear inspiring interviews with amazing trauma therapists, this is it. Right here, right now. With your host, Guy McPherson. All right, guys, before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial by going to the traumatherapistproject.com slash freebook. That's the traumatherapistproject.com slash freebook. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone. Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Look, if you're like me and you love reading, just getting information from every angle you can, Audible is a great way to go. They have titles like The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk, as well as Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, in addition to every other genre. They also have an amazing return policy, which I actually used last week. If you don't like the book, just go back in once you're a member. Uh, hit return, click on return, and that's it. Done. No questions asked. I love it. Once again, get your free book by going to thetraumatherapistproject.com slash free book. Let's get started. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Trauma Therapist Podcast. My name is Guy McPherson, and just really excited to introduce my guest this morning, Mark Woolen. Mark, are you ready to go? I'm ready. Thank you for having me, Guy. You're welcome. Mark is the director of the Family Constellation Institute here in San Francisco, and he's a leading expert in the field of inherited family trauma. A sought-after lecturer, he has taught at the University of Pittsburgh, the Western Psychiatric Institute, Kripalu, the Omega Institute, um, the New York Open Center, and California Institute of Integral Studies. Mark specializes in working with depression, anxiety, obsessive thoughts, fears, panic, his book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who You Are and How to End the Cycle, has just been published by Viking Penguin. Mark, um, just a little bit about yourself. Share with our listeners where you're calling from, where you're from, and then let's dive in. I'm here in the Bay Area, uh, originally from Pittsburgh, Guy, and um I've been in this field for many, many years. All right. All right. So we start off here, Mark, with a, a quote, a mantra, something to kind of set the stage for uh, what you're going to share throughout this interview. What uh, what would you like to share with us? Uh, it's, it's actually a Theodore Redke quote from uh, the beginning two lines of a poem. The poem is called In the Dark, in a dark Time. And the beginning lines are, In a Dark Time, the eye begins to see. I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. And repeat the uh, author of the again. Uh, uh, back in the fifties, uh, Theodore Retke. Oh, Theodore Retke. In, okay. in a dark time. Okay, great. So, give us a little background uh, uh, in that quote. Why that quote? When? What about the genesis of that? Talk to us about that. Uh, literally, I, I lost my vision, which is what put me on the search. Uh, both visions, really. But my physical vision about um, 26 years ago started to go in my left eye and uh, went to the doctors. And, you know, I probably thought it was not much, but it appeared to be um, in, an incurable condition called uh, central serous retinopathy, which in most people is self limiting, but I had the chronic form 
um, the type that's always leaking in the retina. And the doctors told me that I'll probably become legally blind in the one eye and to expect that the other eye will be um, blind too. And at that point, um, I, I was terrified. I was, uh, back then, I was a rock musician, a poet. I had a business in the day. Um, and I had, had to give up this business to go on a search. I, well, I couldn't run the business, right? I couldn't see. And I was, um, I went on a search that led me halfway around the globe, um, learning from some very wise teachers, some very um, profound um, teachers, really, who, who taught me some fundamental principles, um, one, one of which was to go home and to heal my relationship with my parents. So it's kind of a funny story. I, I was um, waiting in line all day in a uh, in an ashram for this particular uh, master to have a satsang, a meeting, spiritual meeting. And I you know, waited all day and I got to the front of the line. And by this time, you know, I, w- I couldn't see very well, but I was doing a lot of meditation and I thought he was going to um, comment on how deep um, <laughs> my meditations were going. And instead he looked right at me. I guess I should say he looked right through me and he saw what I couldn't see. And he said, uh, go home and heal your relationship with your parents. Mm. And I, I was livid, right? I did, you know, I traded my parents in. I didn't need them anymore, so I thought. And, um, and, and, and I didn't, didn't want to hear what he said. And I went to even another, a greater spiritual teacher. And I waited in line all day, and I, eight hours. And I finally got to the front of the line, and, and the guy looked at me, and the same thing. He said, mm. Go home and make peace with your parents. They could see, literally, they could see what I couldn't see. And here I was to go home. I heard this second time to make peace, but I had a completely broken relationship with my parents. And um, I didn't understand at the time, but it was inherited family trauma that stood in the way and the anxiety from which that was really the basis for my eye condition. So my eye was still doing about the same. It wasn't doing really well, no matter what I was trying. Um, juice fasts, hands-on healing, um, supplements. So I, I decided to go home and make peace with my parents. Um, but this was quite a feat um, because, uh, well, to give you the background, uh, each of my grandparents had been orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were babies or toddlers. And the fourth lost her dad when she was one. And ultimately, her mom's attunement, her mom's attention. Um, And so this pattern of being broken from a mother's love was what passed forward in my family. Um, I I remember being five or six years old when my mom would leave the house. I'd run into her bedroom and I'd, sure I'd never see her again um, I'd pull open the drawers and I'd bury my face in her, her nightgowns and her scarves just to smell her scent thinking that that would be all I'd have of her left I'd never mm-hmm. see her again which was true in my family right they lost all their mothers um, I shared this with my mom 40 years later and I said you know mom when you would leave the house I would go into your room and cry into your clothes. And she looked at me and said, you did that too? Oh, wow. 
I did that when my mother left the house. And the funny thing is my sister's now reading my book and she called me and said, you did that too? No. <laughs> oh my so God. This feeling of being broken from a mother's love. And, and that's what I did. It was, it was very hard to heal these broken relationships with my parents because I, you know, there were breaks in the bond, breaks in the attachment. Um, but I, I did so. And sure enough, even though I didn't care about it at that time, I, I learned to be okay no matter what my vision, no matter what my eye was doing, the eye underneath was okay. Mm. But strangely, my vision returned after I healed my relationship with my parents. And then for the last 20 plus years, I've been teaching these principles um, in, in my work. Wow. Well, let's, let's, let's get into that. But first, Mark, thank you so much for sharing that story. I mean, that is, uh, touching and profound and there's just something so intimate about that. And, um, it, it begs the question, you know, how, how did that, how did things unfold for you? How did you get into this field? What, what happened? Tell us the story there. Well, here, here I was back then, um, not knowing what what I was doing, but I was being led, um, you know, twenty some, twenty five, twenty six years ago, learning that there were some fundamental prison principles about presence and um, staying with uncomfortable sensations and healing relationship with our parents, no matter how broken it was. There was something in that um, brokenness. That is, you know, as I, I learned through the years, traumas repeat for the hope to resolve. So we see these repetitions and we see, you know, Freud even 100 years ago called it repetition compulsion, right? We're going to repeat aspects of traumas in the hope that we get it right. But I think in a greater, in, in a, the greatest view, there's something about the trauma that wants to heal. So it recurs. And as a practitioner, you know, I mentioned that poem that in a dark time, the eye begins to see, I meet my shadow in the deepening shade. As a practitioner, I started to walk alongside people into the places they often, you know, don't want to go. And one of my tools is looking at a client's worst fears it, it, because our, our fears, they unconsciously guide the choices we make and the choices we don't make, choices that would be healthy for us, healing for us. And what I've learned um, is often these fears, they don't originate with us. I learned that, of course, in my own story. But, you know, science is now backing up this idea that we biologically inherit the fears and feelings of our parents and our grandparents. Um, you know, a, lot, a large portion of my book talks about the, the new science and epigenetics, but, but I I started to see patterns in people that didn't just have to do with the childhood. Uh, I once worked with this guy. Um, he, he would get panic attacks so severe that he would black out when he would go somewhere new. Mm -hmm. And uh, also my background, poetry and language, um, I, I heard those words somewhere new. So he couldn't even go to a new restaurant. He couldn't even go to a new city. He couldn't take a, a, a trip with his family, a vacation. He was imprisoned in his house because the fear of going somewhere new would make him black out. The panic attacks would be so severe. Then he dropped the bomb. And he told me 
74 members of his family uh, perished, died in the Holocaust. They were sudden, so here's the key right there, suddenly taken from their homes to somewhere new, a concentration camp, where they're murdered. And it wasn't until he made this connection that his panic attack subsided. He knew about the Holocaust trauma in his family, of course, but he never made the connection. He never made the link that he was carrying it in his genes, the way his genes expressed. And afterwards, you know, he could take vacations with his family. Um, how, how I got into it, I would see cases like this, mm-hmm. ca- cases that, uh, do we have time for one more? I yeah, just, oh, please, please, yeah. One of my first cases, and, and you know, I was trying the metaphor again, I was shooting in the dark. One of my first cases, I was working with this young woman, 24-year-old woman who was a cutter. And she would cut so deeply, Guy, that she would need to be hospitalized. She would cut, you know, veins, arteries. She would cut into her legs, her arms, her abdomen. Um, and sometimes she'd have to be hospitalized for blood loss. Sometimes she'd have to be hospitalized for infection. But it was the cutting could almost kill her in the way she was doing it. So I asked her, um, always interested in language, I ask her, what do you think about what's what right before you cut? I'm going to call her Sarah for the purpose of this interview. Sarah, what are you what are you thinking in the moment right before you raise that razor blade and begin to cut? And she looked at me and said, I, I, I deserve to die. And here I am, guy, looking at a 24 year old woman who what could she have done? Her life's just beginning. And I said, Sarah, did you do something? Did you harm somebody? Did you hurt somebody? Do you feel responsible for someone's death? Did you break up with somebody and they committed suicide? She said, no, nothing like that. And so I asked about her mom and her dad. And Oh, they're great. I love my mom. They're really supportive when I cut. They take, they take me to the hospital. You know, they love them. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's that they don't give her enough love and this is her way of getting attention or she had a break in the bond and none of that. Finally. I started poking around in her family system, and then she dropped the bomb. And she told me, Grandma was an alcoholic, and she was driving drunk. And Grandpa was in the passenger seat, and Grandma had a, hit a pole. Grandpa, gran, grandma lived, but Grandpa went through the windshield and got cut, mm. lacerated, and he bled out before the ambulance could could get there. And in that moment, I made two connections, which were imperative for the healing. When she cuts, she was talking about the trauma that no one would talk about her grandpa's death at grandma's hands. And when she felt she deserved to die, it was grandma who felt she deserved to die. And I've discovered, actually, I work a lot with self-injury. Many times the self-injurer, many times, not always, is acting out two impulses at the same time, victimizing oneself and then feeling victimized by oneself. Mm. And then sometimes that might be looking at unconsciously a perpetrator and a victim in our own family history. So it's it's crazy, right? Yeah. We're looking not just at our own childhood, but we have to look at this landscape that took place before we were born. 
Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a lot of things here, and I really appreciate you kind of uh, bringing out or highlighting how you're working and kind of identifying this uh, these different aspects, i.e. the inter- intergenerational trauma in a sense. Um, so when you started out, I kind of want to go back and just get this piece here. When you started out, you said you were seeing these different cases. Had you been working as a therapist and then started seeing these cases and then moving into this, the you know, quote unquote, specialization of trauma? Or, or how did that evolve for you? Well, I was, I was first a meditation teacher. You know, I'd spend many years teaching meditation and mindfulness, and um, then I uh, did a lot of physical body work. Uh, I started out with um, the upletcher work, the biodynamic cranial work, the uh, orthobionomy, neuro- neuromuscular therapy, certified in many of those. Then I became a hypnotherapist, um, a clinical hypnotherapist working with the body, a body-centered hypnotherapist. And then I took trauma trainings. And uh, all along, um, you know, I, I consider myself an educator, really, because I all along I've seen that we need to look back at the family traumas that we inherit. You know, science is telling us, I could talk about the science if we needed to, um, but it's it's just telling us now, in the past few years, that these are biologically inherited fears and feelings that we're born with um, unconsciously. I, it, it, and it was, it was my eye condition that, be, that healed that I inadvertently developed something called the core language approach, where I teach people to become detectives um, of their family history and uncovering the clues in the words they speak. Um, you know, when a trauma happens, it leaves a breadcrumb trail. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaves these clues, and I teach people to hear their own trauma language. Mm-hmm. So those two people that I talked about that and locate where those those that language or those traumas originate. That one woman when she gave me the words, um, I, "I deserve to die." That was our that was our trail. That was our breadcrumb trail because it wasn't her that deserved to die. It was her grandma. And the cutting was another type of language. When she cut and almost bled to death, that was another visceral language that led to her grandpa who died bleeding to death. And that other guy talked about, the guy in the Holocaust with his family, you know, when he would black out whenever he'd go somewhere new, hearing that quality of somewhere new, these were the things that led me, Guy. Mm-hmm, I started mm-hmm. to hear language. Hey, I see dead people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what I, what right. I hear is I hear language, right? I, right. When, when I work with people, I'm listening beneath what they're saying, yeah. and I'm not getting into the story they're telling as much as I want to hear that deeper story mm-hmm. through the language. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that. And and this is really, this for me right now is kind of the, a gold nugget here in a sense that I know it is for our listeners as well. It's It sounds to me, Mark, like you're not just taking everything at, at face value. I mean, to, to use a, a kind of weak expression, but is that you're looking beyond, hearing beyond, sensing beyond and and incorporating the wholeness of of the client and not just okay this client is cutting you know what is their what's their issue in a sense right what's their problem it's it's beyond that um 
that to, that to me is is so rich and how did you begin to see that i know you use those two examples but can you lead us into that process of how you got there how you developed that focus or that lens yeah yeah i um i i started to work with people you know as many, on many levels first with the body then as a hypnotherapist but body centered um, and, and it was this language. So I'd start to ask people, uh, which, which I develop in my book and to, in, it didn't start with you. I developed this way of questioning, this way of hearing, this way, you know, as I, I said, I teach people to become detectives, to do this themselves in that book, but to hear what, for example, one of my questions is to look for the worst fear. As I, I mentioned and it's this the, one of my questions I ask people for. I'll say, "Hey, guy," and it, this is rhetorical. I mean, you don't answer, but uh, guy, if your life suddenly went down the wrong path, if things suddenly fell apart, if things came undone, and this is a feeling you've had your whole life, guy, um, it feels like maybe you've even been born with it. What's your worst fear? What's the worst thing that could happen to you? And this question bears gold. It gives me a way of seeing the traumas in the early early childhood or the traumas in the family history. And um, so I started to ask these questions. I, I'm, you know, my background again, before all of this was musician, poet, language, teaching poetry, writing poetry. Before, before I ever dreamed, I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever work in this field. I, I, I loved music and poetry, <laughs> music and poetry. But I'll tell you, it, it's, I feel, in fact, that, that's, here, do you, if you don't mind. I don't, no, go it, ahead. Uh, in many ways, healing trauma is akin to creating a poem. Both require the right timing, the right words, and the right image. So then when we all those three those three of those elements align, something meaningful gets set into motion that we can also feel in our body. For for example, if our pacing isn't in tune with a client, if we arrive too quickly at their healing image, that image won't take root because we got there too quickly without building the resources or or building the arena where that image can drop into the body. Um, or if we, if we arrive at the words that comfort them too early, they might not be able to take those words in. Or if those words aren't precise, if they're not precise, they won't be able to hear them or resonate with them. So in many ways, it's my background in poetry that is, is what guides me in trauma. I'm, I, I see the, uh, when I look at what heals us, I look at images. It's images what heal us. Mm -hmm. When we arrive, well, let's do it in the negative. When we walk around with a negative image, my, my childhood was cruel. My mother was cruel. My childhood was difficult. My dad was abusive. My um, immune system is weak. These images cast a blueprint. They lay a blueprint for how our life's going to go. They're, they're the foundation. So if we think life is difficult because our childhood was difficult, 
our, this, our therapist is going to be difficult. The healing is going to be difficult. They cast a blueprint for how our life will unfold. So we, we have to shift these inner images. We have to find, as we know, we have to f- have an experience which is large enough to overshadow our old trauma feelings, our old habit of feeling bad. And then we have to practice the feelings of this experience, the new feelings. So for me, I look at what's the image that can create that new feeling. What's, what are the words that can create that new feeling that we can practice? Mm-hmm. And, and that, those are the things I outline in my book and teach people how to get to. Man, Mark, you are good. <laughs> this is this is this is awesome. This is inspiring. Let's kind of move on here. Um, but before we do, let's just pause a moment for these announcements. All right, folks, today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. I've teamed up with Audible to get you a free audiobook by going to the traumatherapistproject.com slash free book. That's the traumatherapistproject.com slash free book. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Look, if you're like me and you love reading and you like getting information, wherever you can, whenever you can, from all over the place, this is a no-brainer. They have titles such as Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk, and my recommendation most recently is Tribe by Sebastian Junger. Awesome book. They also have a pretty incredible return policy. How do I know this? Because I've used it multiple times. Once you remember, just go in, click on return, and that's it. You get a free book. You get another shot at getting another book. Sound good? Get your free audiobook by going to the traumatherapistproject.com slash free book. All right, Mark, share with us uh, a mistake, an error, whatever you want to call it, a, a, a slip up, an early, an early example here, and what, what you learned from that. Yeah, no, that, that's an easy one. I, I used to have my clients punch pillows and tear up cardboard as though they were punching and tearing up their parents. And I found that it brought momentary, momentary, momentary satisfaction. But the long-term effects, Guy, they weren't what I was looking for. They weren't desirable. My experience was that this type of abreactive therapy just led to more separation and more depression because my clients would often come back the next time feeling worse. And I discovered that under the core of their pain was a deep desire to be loved and to be close to their parents. Mm. And, and ultimately, our, our clients have come to us in the first place because they feel cut off or alienated from their parents. And so when we pull away from our parents, which I did, which most of us do, it's often a childhood defense that we've erected to protect us from being hurt again. And it may have been the only thing we knew how to do back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we're adults. And we have to ask now, what trauma happened to our mom that made her distant? What trauma happened to our dad that made him drink? Our job as clinicians, I feel, is to help create understanding and compassion so that our clients can find reconciliation and ultimately have peace with their parents. 
this this um, idea here about the importance of the uh, the the system, the the dynamic here. Um, you you talk a lot about this in in the book. It didn't start with you. That that's a question. I'm asking you a question. Yes. Okay. And again, the the book is the title is it didn't start with you. How inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. Again, uh, I'm going to have this linked up at the show notes page here at the traumatherapistpodcast.com. Mark, what's your why? What what keeps you going? in this work beautiful beautiful question thank you um i i would see mysteries we all walk around with unexplained mysteries um we all walk around with an anxiety that maybe is a sudden onset anxiety when we hit a certain milestone or you know we we go to get married or we go to have a child or we reach a certain age and all of a sudden it's the same age that our parents split apart or grandparents split apart or you know uh our our parents divorced at 30 and we find ourselves pulling away at 30 from our partner or we were 8 and now our kids 8 mm-hmm. and we find ourselves distancing um I, I wanted to provide help for people who struggle with the effects of inherited family trauma and don't have a clue as to why they don't know where to turn we we don't we don't know why we suffer we think we're the problem we think the issue starts with us or we have a depression that's been with us so long we don't think the question that this depression isn't us we think it's us and it could be again biologically inherited um i do we have time for a, st- a quick story? We do. We always have time for stories here. <laughs> I, I once worked with a woman. She was consumed with anxiety. Um, and it, once that she got, once she got pregnant, she had no anxiety before that. But now she's pregnant and she's consumed with anxiety. And using the questions I outline in my book, we found out that she had a horrific fear that she would harm her new baby. And so I asked her, did anyone in your family ever harm uh, a baby? And she said, no. And then she said, oh, my God, my grandmother. When she was a young woman, she lit a candle and caught the curtains on fire and the house on fire. And her newborn was upstairs sleeping and she couldn't get her newborn out of the house. And we were never allowed to talk about it. And in that minute, she made the link that she was carrying her grandmother's feeling her her grandmother's experience so i wrote the book for those of us that have no clue that we are carrying bits of experience that doesn't belong to us and and i also wrote the book um to provide uh, to generate some awareness in the therapeutic community about the impact of epigenetics because i'd like to see this field grow and that practices like these become standards so clinicians we have the tools we need to work with our clients and patients that have inherited family trauma. Mark, what do you say, what, what advice do you have for, for clinicians who want to get into this field of, of uh, trauma or begin their kind of trauma-informed education? What would you share with them? I would say try not to get too invested in your client's story. Mm. If we listen only to the story how they've been wronged or victimized by their parents, we risk following them 
into the places where they're perpetuating their own anxiety and they're staying stuck. But if we know how to get to their core language, that you know that 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 special trauma language if we can get to that language and link it to the original trauma it's like finding the missing piece of the puzzle that lets the whole picture come into view explaining why our clients feel the way they do then we can implement solutions that heal at the source it's i just think it's important for us as clinicians not to side with our clients in their hatred of their parents because I, I see that the this therapeutic relationship can fail. Because ultimately, I think I said this before, but I want to repeat it. Our clients have come to us to get them unstuck, which is often done by helping them open their hearts to their parents. Even if they say, that's the last thing I want to do is be close to her mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or be close to him. But, but I believe underneath it's true. So... Trying to try not to get too invested in your client's story. Um, You talked about, you know, we risk following them into the place where they're perpetuating their anxieties. Uh, Instead, you know, find the language that's connected to their trauma. Um, This to me, I mean, it, it sounds easy. It sounds easy. It makes sense to me. It it sounds like I mean this this requires some sophistication. Obviously, this requires some work. I mean, obviously, we're not saying you know anyone can do this, but um, it it when you speak, Mark, I get the feeling that you're not just as you've talked about before. You're not just listening to their story. You're kind of hearing you're seeing you're using taking everything in that requires a lot wouldn't you agree guy i lay this out in my book i i really do i don't mean to plug the book here but i wrote the book for those of us who struggle and for clinicians who know nothing about inherited family trauma nothing about core language um there's just you know basically some questions that we ask that i lay out in the book that can guide the clinician, the beginning therapist, how to ask these questions, what to look for, and then how to hear it. Um, so I give uh, many samples of this language, this awesome. trauma language. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's all right there. Okay. It's all right there. Okay. Very easy. In terms of uh, a book recommendation, whether trauma-related or not, what would you uh, share with us? Well, I find myself, I always return to David Schnarch's book, Passionate Marriage. I know it's probably already 15 years old, but but I love it because he teaches us how to fall in love with the soul of the other. And, and he drives home that principle of into me see, where he teaches these exercises, um, hugging until relaxed with our with our partner, and then we reveal to our partner what's happening at the level of sensation below the mind. And I often give my couples, I teach a relationship class too, and I often you know, recommend this book to my couples. I think it's a very smart book of staying in the moment and in the awareness of sensation without letting it rise up into our mind. Just like Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, that would be another book um, because it, you know, again, teaches us to stay at the level of sensation, not analyze, not judge, but really 
I return, what inspires me most is I return to poetry, the poetry of Rilke, the poetry of Lao Tzu, the poetry of Kabir, Yeats, uh, T.S. Eliot, Hafiz, Rumi, Jack Gilbert. I, I, poetry is what, well, as we've learned in this podcast, is where I'm most guided. I'm most guided with the profundity, the, the, the depth of language and where it can go. I'll have uh, each of those linked up at the show notes page again at the traumatherapistpodcast.com. Um, Passionate Marriage, Keeping Love and Intimacy Alive and Committed Relationships by David Schnarch. Um, also your book again, uh, Mark, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle and uh, links for Rilke and Lautza. Mark, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Ah. Uh. Um, markwolin.com, www.markwolynn.com. I've got lots of videos on that website and um, resources there for healing, and also on Facebook, uh, Facebook slash Mark Wolin. Okay, great. Mark, uh, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share uh, your own experiences and listening to you talk. It's it's so inspiring. Um, it, it I love this because it makes me want to be a better clinician, a better therapist, and a better human. And I don't I don't say that lightly. I mean this is this is what this is all about. So thank you for sharing uh, your passion with us today. Oh, guy, thank you for having me. I I really enjoyed talking with you, and and it's been an honor to be on your podcast. Take care. Take care.